All right, why don't you open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to finish up 1 John tonight. Um, while you're turning there, um, back on the little counter there just before the kitchen, there's a stack of little cards that look like this. Um, there should be about 40 of them there. I think that's enough for everybody here. But make sure before you leave, you grab one of these. Um, what it is, uh, uh, there's a web address on the top, and then there's a QR code, which you can scan with like a phone or whatever, and it'll bring a link up. Um, goes to a series of videos on YouTube that is a 1981 series of teachings by Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, Monday night Bible class that he had on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's about 13 videos in there. Um, they're each about an hour, hour and a half long. Um, I just finished listening through them. There's a few of us guys in the church who kind of shared these things around, and um, it is such a blessing. Simple, straightforward, encouraging teaching, reminder for us about being filled with the Spirit, our need for it, what it looks like, how to not fall into error when you're looking at the Holy Spirit and what the Bible teaches about it. Um, and if you haven't listened to Pastor Chuck teach, it's just a, a blessing because he's just straightforward, simple, sticks to the word, but has, like our pastor, illustrations that are true to life, stories um, uh, of uh, just application and how you apply it to your life. And um, really big blessing. So pick one up. Go through that series, I mean, listen to it if you can, you know, while you're at work or at home or whatever, or sit down with your, your wife or, or a friend or whatever and just listen to it and soak it in. It's, it's really a blessing. Um, and we, we as a church, we need to be seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can't do our Christian life, our Christian walk without being filled with the Holy Spirit think if we're honest with ourselves, we know when we're not filled with the Spirit, when we don't have the power of the Spirit, we may be getting along fine for a little while in our own strength, but eventually we either get burnout, we blow up, right, or we just give up and walk away, right? But if we have the Holy Spirit, He's the one who gives us the strength to persevere, um, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God. Right, All of those things, the fruits of the Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that, that dunamis, that dynamite power that we have where we can follow the Lord and see just miraculous things in our lives and in the lives of, of other people as we're being filled with the Spirit. So um, pick one up. First John 5, uh, look at verse 16. Uh, it says, excuse me, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he uh, should pray about it, about that. All right, unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself. And the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come. And has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do ask tonight, even now, that your Holy Spirit, who is in us, would come upon us, Lord, as we are studying, as we're looking at, as we are uh, meditating on your word, Lord, that you, by your spirit, would speak to us, uh, that we would hear you. Lord, this is a, a difficult passage, hard to understand, um, 
there are so many different opinions and ways to interpret this and and, uh, ways to look at it, Lord, but I pray that we would not miss the heart of what you have to say to us and that by your spirit you would speak to our hearts of what is important for us to know and hear in your word, Lord. Speak to us tonight in your name. Amen. So, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. Now, this is one of the most difficult passages in the scriptures. Um, If you get any commentary, and it can be a commentary you trust that's great, sticks to the basics of the word of God, even a one of the most you know well-read, well-studied Greek scholar, and you will end up with 10, 15, 20 different ways to interpret this verse. Um, and, and, you know, John was writing this, and for, for whatever reason, there's a lot of ambiguity in kind of what is being spoken of here when it comes to specific parts of this verse, of this writing. Um, and whether that comes through because of translation or whether that that just comes tr- through because I personally believe sometimes the Lord allows things in his scripture that we don't quite fully understand so that there is that question and that pause for us to truly think about it, to consider uh, what these things are mean, and to really have that a question where then to move beyond that or move with that reading that and absorb it it takes an action of faith where we trust God at his word this is what his word says and also uh, an action of maturity where we fall back on what the word does say the truth that we know that we can that we understand the foundations that we have and say well we know these things are true therefore we can trust that this is this way, or we can say, I don't know. Uh, one of my favorite Bible commentators, commentators in the New Testament, I've shared a lot from him, is um, Kenneth Wiest. And when I was studying and everything, after I had kind of gone through and looked at um, this portion of Scripture, I go to the commentaries and kind of read what they have to say after that. And for him, he gets to this verse and he says, I have no idea what this says, so I'm not even going to try to interpret it. It says, I'll, I'll let the Holy Spirit speak to you, <laughs> and that's it, you know. Um, and then there, there are so many different things. But let's look at the context real quick, and then we'll get into some interpretation of this. Verse 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Right? Pastor Dan taught on this last week. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. What are the requirements for that? That we ask in faith, that we ask according to his will, that we are in him, and that we are in his word. Those are the requirements. If we have those things, then as we're asking, as we're praying, we are asking according to God's will according to what he wants, because we have the word of God, which teaches us the truth of God, shows us his will. We are walking in him. We have the spirit of God dwelling in us to lead us. We we are asking in faith, believing God for the promises that he's given us. And and we are uh, walking in him. And we're asking then according to his will. And he hears us. Does God want to accomplish his will? Yes. So, What is the context for verse 16? It's prayer. It's interceding. It's seeking on behalf of another person and praying and asking the Lord to intercede on their behalf. That is the context. And the context is also that if we are praying according to his will, he hears us and he will answer us. Our prayers count for so much because God calls us to he asks us to he commands us to pray and to seek and to ask to knock right to do all of these things to to 
intercede on behalf of brothers and sisters, to pray for people, to speak with him, to petition him. And we're called to do that. And if we are doing that, the Lord then will work. And we'll see him work. We'll see the fruit of the Spirit of God operating within us as we're praying, as we're seeking. So we're asking, you know, we've advertised it over and over again. We have those Sunday night prayer meetings, second and fourth Sundays. And it is such a blessing to be there, to be a part of it, to pray, um, and to see the Lord answer prayers. And verse 16, we've prayed these prayers many times for people, um, and we've seen the Lord answer prayers. As we see, uh, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, we'll take that not lead to death part out and just look at it. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, he will ask and he will give him life. That's what we want. That's what God wants is to give life. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, That is God's will. So the first part of this that is application for us, of course, like we looked at last week, is prayer. But the, the second part here with verse 16 is that seeing our brother or sister. Uh, we can't see somebody struggling in sin. We can't know that they are struggling in sin if we're not present, if we're not together. Uh, it is so easy today... Um, we were talking just before Bible study tonight about some people who have fellowshiped with us in the past and now for uh, being offended or some other reasons decided to stop fellowshipping with us. Um, And uh, unfortunately, you can kind of do that as a Christian now. You can get offended. You can go off and go find another church. Eventually, you'll probably get offended and then move on to another church after that, and it becomes a pattern or a cycle. But we're called to, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, to persevere, to endure, to have patience, right? Love is patient. Love is kind of long-suffering, right? And so, uh, now this, of course, is seeing a brother sin. It's not speaking necessarily of when you've been offended yourself, although... Sometimes a person's sin is offensive to you, right? But what is the answer? The answer is not to walk away, not to turn away. The answer is to pray, to ask, to seek the Lord, to persevere, to work in it. You know, there are many, many things. I mean, look at a marriage. How many times have you been, as a husband, offended by something your wife has said or done? Or wives, How many times, probably more often, have you been offended by something your husband has done or maybe even just his presence sometimes, right? So, but a godly marriage, a marriage that works is not one that says, I'm offended and I'm walking away. That's it, right? But it's one where you work through it, right? Uh, Christian marriage, you pray through it. You ask the Lord, you seek the Lord. Um, And that's, as brothers and sisters in the church, we need to be mature Christians. Maybe you get offended, but don't walk away. Stay. Ask the Lord to show you or to show the person that's offended you what the truth of the matter is and to work on their heart and to work on your heart, right? If we have humility towards the situations then the Lord will deal with us as we need to be dealt with, and we can trust that he'll deal with them as they need to be dealt with. And that's biblical Christian relationships in the church, and that's how we grow. If we're always walking away as we get offended, we're never going to grow. We're like a broken record. We may get halfway around the disc and then skip right back to where we started over again, and it's just going and going, a song that never gets to the end, right? And that is not how we're to be as Christians. We're to grow, right? Second Peter 2, it says, but grow 
in the grace of the Lord. Right? That's what we're called to, to grow. And we're not going to grow if we're not dealing with issues, with circumstances, with situations, and we're not seeking the Lord in them. So we have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters. That's what First John, we've seen that. That's one of the key things that John has harped on over and over in First John is loving your brother. If you don't love your brother, then how can you say you love God? Right? And nobody can say, I love God, but hate his brother. Right? We have that over and over again. We're called to be involved in our brothers' and sisters' lives. Now, it doesn't mean we meddle. It's not that kind of involvement, but it's the involvement where we are praying, where we are seeking to not stumble them, so then we're keeping ourselves holy in our walks, uh, not using our liberty abusing our liberty in Christ to stumble others. But we are walking in love and humility. And when we do that, then the church is being built up. So it says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death. If you notice in my Bible, we have a lot of words in this portion of Scripture where it's in italics. And when your Bible has that, most Bibles they will tell you those are words that are added for clarity. Um, so in the Greek, if we read this first verse, it would say, without those added words, it would say, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin not to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not to death. Right? So there's, there are words that are in there added for clarity. Um, and even some of the manuscripts uh, omit parts of these verses um, and you kind of have to take what it says um, and judge it according to how uh, what is in there Um, but what do we know Uh, a sin that does not lead to death the bible says romans 6 23 the wages of sin is death right sin equals death uh 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we're deceived, right? Um, and we make God a liar, 1 John 1.10, if we say we don't have sin. Uh, Romans 3.23, God declares, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So sin is there. We've all sinned, and sin leads to death. So what is, what is John speaking of here where he says a sin not leading to death? Well, Um, there are some who say that this death is speaking of physical death, right? Um, And they would go back and they would look at uh, biblical examples like Ananias and Sapphira, right? What happened there? Early church, they just start out. The church is giving, you know, selling their belongings and giving the proceeds to the church kind of in a communal type uh, uh, group where everybody's giving, Ananias and Sapphira, they sell their property and they keep part of the proceeds for themselves, which is fine. But then they present the money, the rest of the money, uh, to the Lord as if it was all that they had gotten in order to gain in stature, in reputation. And Peter calls them out. The Holy Spirit calls them out and says... Why has Satan deceived you to lie in your heart to the Holy Spirit? And the Lord strikes Ananias down and then Sapphira after that, right? So there are some who say that this sin leading to death that it talks about here is a specific thing where it's so heinous or so, uh, you know, needs to be made an example of, like Ananias and Sapphira, that God strikes a person down dead. You know, uh, we have other situations, not necessarily with believers, but Herod, right? Remember Herod? After he's persecuted the church, uh, he threw Peter in prison. The angel set Peter free, right? And he goes, and then Herod goes before this whole group of people, and they're just singing his praises, and the Bible says he fell down and died. He had worms in him that God struck him down and died because he didn't give glory to God, right? Um, if we go to the Old Testament, 
1 Samuel chapter 2, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, Eli was the priest before the Lord in Shiloh where the tabernacle was, uh, where um, Hannah, Samuel's mother, would go and pray and ask the Lord for a son. And, and the Lord gave Hannah Samuel, and she devoted him to the Lord. That was Eli the priest there. And his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, the Bible says they were priests of the Lord. But, but if you go on, it says that they were corrupt, did not know the Lord. People would come and bring their offerings and bring meat that was supposed to be sacrificed to the Lord. The Lord said that the fat and, and, and that, that delicate portion of the offerings was his portion. But they would tell the people, no, don't, don't burn it yet. Give us the raw meat first so we can have our own thing, and then you can go burn whatever's left over. When the Lord said, this is my portion, uh, they would boil meat in a pot, and the, their attendants would go in and stick a meat hook in the pot, and they would rip out as big of a portion of meat as they could, and they would keep it for themselves. Um, and... and even beyond those things, the Bible says that they were there as priests of the Lord and women would come to worship and they would have sex with these women who would come to worship at the tabernacle, at, at the, uh, the place that was supposed to be holy before the Lord. They, were, they, they had grown up in a priestly family. Their father was a priest. He was a weak man, by the way, if you read it, uh, spiritually uh, morally weak. He knew what was right, and yet he did not have the strength like his ancestor uh, did. Uh, the other Phineas drove a spear through the people who were having sex just outside the tent of meeting uh, when the people were in, were, uh, in, in the wilderness with Moses um, because they, they were um, committing fornication before the Lord. Uh, but uh, his sons, they just were allowed to continue on in what they were doing, abusing their position. And uh, they uh, had done this for so long, had developed such a reputation that people didn't want to worship the Lord anymore because they were being abused. Um, and they, they did not think it was good for them to worship the Lord. And so the Lord struck them down dead, both sons. And it was a sign to Eli um, that they would die on the same day. We have Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, before that. They were priests before the Lord. And they attempted to approach the Lord with profane fire, the Bible says, um, and brought fire which he had not commanded them. Now, if you look at the context just after that, there's a warning that the Lord gives that none of the priests who serve before me should be intoxicated with wine, should drink any kind of wine, because then they will not know what to do and what the Lord has commanded them to do. Um, and so I believe, and there are others who believe that they had were drunk and they were trying to minister intoxicated before the Lord. But again, they these were men who had been called of the Lord. They saw the miracles that took place with Moses with Aaron. They knew what was right. They had been, been, become priests before the Lord like Aaron, and yet they brought things and they ministered. They attempted to serve the Lord in their own way, their own strength, and essentially said, we're going to do it our way. Leviticus 10.3, God declares after this, he says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Korah's rebellion against the Lord's anointed, Moses and Aaron, right? God had called Moses and Aaron, uh, Moses to lead the people, Aaron to be the high priest before the Lord. And Korah rose up and said, we're all holy. What makes you greater than us? We can serve before the Lord. And, and they were challenging what, not Moses and Aaron, but what God had done, what God had set up. And they said, we can do it our own way. And so uh, after this test to see who really God had chosen, um, of course, we know the Lord had chosen Moses, had chosen Aaron, and Korah, uh, Dathan, and Abiram, and all of their households were swallowed up by the earth and judged. 
Balaam. Remember Balaam? Uh, he was uh, a prophet. He had the Spirit of God spoke through him. How that works, I don't know. But Balaam, he was a prophet. And he prophesied on behalf of the Lord. And uh, Balak, uh, the king of the Midianites, called Balaam to go and basically pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. And Balaam, because he was greedy, he said, oh yeah, I'll do it. Just pay me for it. And so he goes to prophesy uh, curses over Israel, and the Lord doesn't let him do it. Every time he opens his mouth, rather than curses, blessings come out. And it happens over and over again, right? And you know the story, Balaam, he's going one of the last times to go and do it. He's riding a donkey, and the donkey won't go. So he starts beating the donkey. Donkey won't go. And, and he's just getting more and more mad. And, and all of a sudden, you know, he finally, as he's so mad and livid, the donkey turns around and starts to talk to him. What are you doing? Look. And then the Lord opens his eyes, and there's the angel of the Lord standing with the flaming sword ready to kill him. Right? And then he prophesies blessings again over Israel. But you know what? The Lord didn't strike him dead there. Uh, but afterwards, when the children of Israel went to Midian and the Lord judged them and had vengeance on them, Balaam was one of the men that was killed along with all the Midianites. He was struck down even though he was called a prophet. Second Peter chapter 2 talks about it. It says he loved the wages of unrighteousness. And he was killed. King Uzziah, he, he was a king in Israel who started out well. He did what was right, the Bible says, before the Lord. But he got puffed up, got prideful, wanted to do things his own way. And he came to the house of the Lord and tried to offer incense in the censer before the Lord when that was the high priest's duty. He was not a priest. He had not been uh, cleansed. He had not gone through the rites of uh, being uh, set apart as a priest before the Lord. And he went out there to do it, and the Lord struck him with leprosy, covered his head. Um, he was pr pursuing to be able to offer incense to the Lord, um, and he became an isolated leper until the day of his death, even though he had started out right. He, he tried to do it his own way. So all of these examples, these are men who, and women who knew what was right to do in the sight of the Lord, and yet they said, I don't care, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it my, my way. And they, they were people who rejected and reviled what God had said, and they were judged and struck down. Is this what First John's talking about? Maybe. That, that could be what that's speaking of there. So it could be speaking of spiritual death as well back in first john if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to spiritual death now again you have the question then what about romans six twenty three three wages of sin is death all is sin right um so how is there a sin that does not lead to death well um you could then go back to uh when jesus uh speaks about the blasphemy of the holy spirit Jesus is casting out demons, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they criticize Jesus, and they say, they say, oh, he's just casting them out by Beelzebub, right? And that's where Jesus talks about a house divided against itself cannot stand. How can I be casting out demons uh, by the ruler of demons? Um, that Essentially, Jesus is saying that doesn't make any sense. If I'm casting out demons, it's by the power of God. Um, and you see the people's reaction there uh, as they're calling him son of David. And this very same uh, healing that he did was a man who was demon-possessed, but not just demon-possessed. He was blind and mute. And the Lord set him free from the demons, healed his blindness, and healed his muteness. And those are specific signs of Jesus being the Messiah. Being the son of David, that's what the people recognized in him. The, the prophecies of the Messiah, would that he would, he would uh, uh, make the blind to see and open the mouths of the mute. All right? And so the Pharisees, they, were, they, they did not believe the signs that Jesus was doing before them, that he was the Messiah. 
And that's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin, where it, where it is rejecting Jesus. When, and again, now listen, the Pharisees, they knew, they should have known, right? Jesus, Jesus wept over Jerusalem saying that uh, if they had only known the day of their visitation, the things that would have made for their peace, right? He wept over them. The prophecies are all there. They, they should have, as the religious leaders and teachers in Israel, should have known the signs of the Messiah and should have seen and been humble in seeing Jesus that he wasn't exactly what they had expected, right? But he was fulfilling the signs and, and he was calling them out on the things that were sin in their hearts and their lives and their hypocrisy. Um, and yet they rejected him. Now we see that there were some Sadducees, uh, not Sadducees, um, of the Sanhedrin. There were some even of the Pharisees, who was a Pharisee that we know of that gave his life to the Lord. Saul became Paul, right? So uh, Jesus says that they're committing the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but then we see later on Saul, who's one of the Pharisees. We don't know if he was part of that group, but he was one of the Pharisees, and he gives his life to the Lord, right? He's converted on the road. Um, to persecute Christians. So, uh, you know, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin, um, it's there as we know God uh, will judge all people by their relationship with Jesus Christ, by how they respond to him. That is how we get to heaven or we go to hell is whether we've placed our faith in Jesus, whether we've received him, accepted him, or whether we've rejected him. And that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, is to have that ultimate, final rejection, to have known the truth, to see the signs, to understand what it means, to see that it's true and say, I don't want it, and, and turn away. Now, when that happens, when that ultimate judgment, when does it take place like Pharaoh in the Old Testament, as the Lord's calling Pharaoh to let his people go, to let the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt, to let them go. And Moses is going over and over again, let my people go, let my people go. And, and he doesn't do that, and the Lord sends plagues, and, and the people are, are being uh, you know, just judged. The people of Egypt are being judged by the Lord, and Pharaoh is being judged for not letting. And he goes... And at first, he'll say, okay, well, the people can go. But then he hardens his heart. Pharaoh, the Bible says he hardens his heart. Well, then you read in the scripture that Pharaoh, he hardened his heart, he hardened his heart. And then you see where it says, the Lord then hardened Pharaoh's heart. What, what brings us to that point? I don't know. I don't know. But, and, and it's not the same for everybody, right? The Lord, the Bible says the Lord knows those who are his. The Bible also says that, that he knows all things. He knows each and every one of us. He, he knows the, the choices that we will make. Um, and the Lord knows when we've made that final rejection of him and that ultimate rejection of him. I personally believe for most men and women, it's not until that day you've died and you have no more chances. Right? It's appointed for a man once to die. And then the judgment, the Bible says. Um, but uh, whether this is speaking of that or not, I don't know. I personally believe First John uh, 5.16, the sin leading to death is that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, where it's speaking of it, it says, If anyone sees his brother as sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, so there's a sin not leading to death. If you look at it as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, then it would be a brother who is sinning uh, but has not ultimately finally rejected the Lord. Um, then he will ask, and if you're asking again, like 14 and 15, according to his will, then he will give him life for those committing sin, not leading to death. If it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit where it says there is sin leading to death, I do not say that he should pray about that. If we think about it in that sense, where you are praying according to the will of God, 
Now, we know as we look at the scriptures, God allows men and women to choose whether to receive the Lord or to reject the Lord, right? That's the operation of faith. Whoever believes in Jesus, that's, that's the criteria. Whoever believes, that's a person's responsibility to believe, right? Um, that uh, if it's God's will to allow a person to make the choice whether to receive or reject him, then he's not going to override that person's will. It's this balance between man's free will and the sovereignty of God. It's where, you know, you have on the extremes Arminianism and Calvinism, you know, uh, election where you, ha- you can't do anything except be saved or you can't do anything except go to hell. That's the extremes of Calvinism. Um, but uh, it, there's a balance as you read the scriptures where there's choices that we make, where we have a responsibility to receive or reject. But at the same time, God is sovereign, Right. Um, and God allows people to choose what to do. And that's what we see how God deals with people. And honestly, it's his long suffering, his patience, his kindness. If God knows that there are those there that will reject him, ultimately, why doesn't he just strike each and every one of them down and just allow the people who will see, receive him to live? What's the point in that? Just to torture them as they go through life on earth without him and then perish and die and go to hell? That doesn't make sense. That, that's not what the scriptures teach, right? But God is long-suffering. He's patient. He's kind. And, um, and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So uh, now if there is a person, we're not, as a man, as a woman, going to know if that person is in a state where they've ultimately finally rejected the Lord. That's not our place, right? That's not our place to judge their salvation and whether God has received them or will receive them or not. We judge them by their fruits, but ultimately God is their judge. So how do we pray? We pray for God to turn them or for them to turn from their wicked ways in repentance to the truth, right? Um, So again, you could go so many different ways about this, but what, what is the core? What is the heart of this? It's that we should be praying for people praying for people praying for people now the bible talks about again um i forget which which uh, epistle it's talking to uh believers in the church who are sick because they're they're partaking of the lord's supper uh in a in an unrighteous way and and and, uh where uh there is judgment physical judgment on you because you're choosing to sin I mean, we see that in these physical, visible sins. You know, it, uh, pharmacia, uh, uh, drug abuse, sorcery, that's a sin against the Lord. There's obvious physical ramifications for doing that sin. Sex outside of marriage. Look, the STD epidemic that is out there. Uh, it, it's because of sex outside of marriage that... STDs have skyrocketed throughout the world, right? Physical effects of sin. Uh, drunkenness is sin before the Lord. What are the physical effects? You, you get in a car accident. You abuse your wife. Uh, you you uh, commit fornication because you have no judgment, right? Uh, all of these things, physical effects of sin, spiritual sin. Um, uh, lust in your heart. There's physical effects of that and judgment, right? So uh, we're, we're called to pray and to ask the Lord and to seek the Lord on behalf of the people and petition the Lord to save those who have not rejected him. And for those who maybe we have a question about or whatever else, we still pray for them. And we ask the Lord to turn them to, to, to turn them to repentance and we pray for that. Look at verse 17. It says, All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. All unrighteousness is sin. Right? Again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Unrighteousness is not doing what is right. It's unjust. It's not being obedient to the Lord. It's all 
sin. And there is sin, again, he says, not leading to death. The beautiful piece of this is that, that what John is saying is that it's, if we've sinned, again, like he says earlier in the epistle, if we've sinned, there's forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? If we have sin, John says in 1 John chapter 1, or chapter 2, Verse 1 says, my little children, these things are right to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. That's what it says. So we have that. We have that. If you have fear that I've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin, then you probably haven't. Because you, you understand in your heart that that state is wrong before the Lord and you don't want to be in that state. And just that very fact then shows you that there's still that chance of repentance because your conscience is pricked. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you saying this is wrong. You're rejecting what God has said and what God has called you to do and what God's done for you. Turn from it. And it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so we can then turn and we can see we can be saved. There's forgiveness with the Lord. With us as believers, it's God's grace upon us each day that we continue in walking with him uh, because we all sin. We all sin. But there's also to be that change, and that's what verse 18 says. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Now, in the Greek, that's does not habitually, does not practice sin. Again, this doesn't contradict what comes before, where it says, if anyone says he hasn't sinned, he's calling God a liar, right? That's not contradicting this, but he says that whoever is born of God does not practice sin, is not continuing in it, is not living in habitual sin. Now, brother, sister, if you are, repent, stop. Time is short. There's no time to be fooling around. There's no time. Like, Dan was sharing with us before, the signs are there. I mean, the world is just, uh, to use a, a, I don't know if it's a pun or whatever, but it's going to hell in a handbasket, the world is. And, and, but on top of that, it's all leading up to what the Bible says, the end times, the Lord's coming back soon for his church, and he wants to come back for a church that is without spot, without blemish, prepared, ready, doing his work waiting for him, looking for his return. We need each other to be walking in holiness with the Lord. I need you to be walking with the Lord in holiness. You need me to be walking with the Lord in holiness because we are the living stones of the church building each other up on the foundation of Christ, right? We're the body of Christ where we're all members of one body, where the members work together um, and, and are accomplishing God's will in, in all the different positions and callings and actions and, and strengths and weaknesses that the different members of a body have. But if we are giving ourselves to sin, then we, we are, it's not, no sin is a sin for just our, that just affects us. It's affecting the whole church. Nobody will know, may know about it at all, but I, I promise you, your sin is affecting the body of Christ because there are gifts the Lord has given you as a believer that he wants to use in the church to, to serve, to minister, to bring him glory, to reach people out in the world and to add more to the church. And if you are walking in sin, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord is not using you. And, and, and there is a deficit that exists because you're playing around. So don't play around. You need to walk with him. And this is what it says. Whoever is born of God does not sin, does not practice sin, is not habitually sinning. But he who is born of God keeps himself. In the Greek it literally says guards himself. 
Um, and there's some questions again about whether this is him or himself. We know God keeps us. But we know, again, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If we're abiding in Christ, then we're walking in him according to his will. And that is the keeping, right? That, that we're keeping ourselves. And the wicked one does not touch him. No one can separate us from the love of God. Right? And then verse 19, it says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now, we need to get this out of our minds, that there is good in the world. There is no good in the world, except for what God has done. There is no good in the world. Uh, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. If it's not of God, it's of the flesh or of the devil. And we need to have that understanding. We need to be wholly separated people to the Lord. Not, not compromising, not playing around, not distracted, not giving ourselves to things that have nothing to do with the things of God, but to give ourselves to him. We are of God. We've been born of him. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, and we've been called to be salt, called to be light, his hands and feet to serve him. Verse 20, it says, and we know, we know. Remember John said, I'm writing these things that you may know. And he says, now, we know that the Son of God has come. The Son of God, God in the flesh, God 100% man, 100% God, the promised Messiah fulfilling the prophecies of the first coming. God who became a man so that he might die on the cross for, on our behalf. God who died on our behalf and was resurrected on the third day. God who has ascended to heaven, sent his Holy Spirit while he is there at the right hand of the throne of God interceding on our behalf. That's who we know. We know him. And it says, and has given us an understanding. I, I think that's beautiful. The Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. Where it's the understanding. We don't know everything. We know God, and he gives us an understanding that he is the Son of God. He died on our behalf. He's working out our salvation. He is uh, preparing a place for us. And the world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we are called to live righteous lives. And we're called to pray for our brothers and sisters. And, and all of this is wrapped up in that knowing God, knowing him. When we know him, we have that understanding. Again, it, it, it's the wisdom, the fear of the Lord, right? Uh, it's those things that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. Jesus can be trusted. Right? We can trust him. And we can know that we're in him, who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, if you want to know if you have eternal life, you have to know God. That's what it says. This is the true God and eternal life, is knowing the son. That's what it is. There's no other way to have eternal life. There's no other way to get to heaven. It's knowing the son of God has come. Knowing him who is true and being in him. This is the true God and eternal life. And then we have that little reminder at the end, verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And that's the calling we have. You know, as we as Christians, we can have miraculous uh, uh, testimony of how the Lord has rescued us from a life of bondage to sin. And we can... We can be set free. We can have a testimony maybe of having grown up in a Christian home and household. Have, For all you can understand, always believe that Jesus is the Christ and have walked with him. But we can set up little idols in our lives that again distract us, that separate us. And John, the whole thrust of his epistle as he's talking about truth as he's talking about light as he's talking about knowing god about no longer continuing in sin about uh the right understanding and perspective of who jesus is what he's done and what he's made us into and what he's called us to 
if we stray from that truth, that's setting up idols, right? An idol is not, I mean, it is a little, you know, statue or something that somebody bows down to in worship. But for us, an idol, we very easily make idols by not believing, not trusting, not taking the scripture at God's word and trusting and believing in him because then we're, we're making God out to be something he's not and that understanding is then an idol. And John, he reminds the church, little children, keep yourselves from idols and that we do that by being in the word of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, continuing in the church, praying, persevering with one another. And when we do that, then uh, we don't have to worry about going astray. As if we're seeking to just simply follow the Lord, be in the word of God, not give ourselves to sin. When we do sin, repent, confess, move on. Don't dwell in it. Don't allow Satan to get you condemned to where you give up and you walk away. But follow the Lord. Seek him wholeheartedly. Abide in him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for First John. It's been such a blessing to me studying through this book, uh, preparing and then teaching and hearing uh, as Pastor Dan uh, has taught as well, Lord, just uh, the encouragement in it of who you are, the truth of who you are, your love for us, what great things you've done for us, Lord. I pray for our church fellowship here that the people would be a people of prayer, that we would persevere with each other, not give up, Lord, that we would uh, follow you wholeheartedly, Lord, that we wouldn't uh, give ourselves to idols, Lord, but that we would just persevere in knowing you, that that would be the, our whole desire is just to know you, Lord, and in the knowing you, you work out all these other things. Your word says to seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. Uh, and that's, that is what we want and we desire, Lord. And I pray that we would continue to do that, that you would bless the people, give them a hunger and a desire for your word, Lord, that you would bless them with being filled with the Holy Spirit, that we would see the ministry of the gifts of the Spirit here in this church in a, in a miraculous way uh, where you are accomplishing what you want to accomplish, Lord. We ask this in your name.